the Laps Factor Podcast. What is up, college lacrosse fans? You're watching the 181st episode of the Lax Factor Lacrosse Podcast, and today we're going to begin a series of conference predictions. Way too early conference predictions, and uh, because everybody loves the ACC, and uh, that's what draws the most views, we're going to do the ACC first. Before I get into it, as always, be sure to like and subscribe. We got to get us over uh, 10,000 subscribers here this season. We got you know slowed down in terms of the growth by the weird COVID. COVID season, but we are well on our way to 10,000. I think we're at like 9,650 subscribers. So we just need 400 more. So if you're watching this, be sure to like, subscribe. If you're watching on YouTube, if you're watching on Spotify, Anchor, or you're listening on any of the other podcast platforms, uh, just be sure to share it with your friends. And as always, you can go to laxfactor.com, get yourself hat, t-shirt, all sorts of swag and things of that sort. So let's get into it. Uh, The ACC. So tough to call because historically everyone's kind of had their share of fun within the ACC. It's stacked top to bottom. The five teams in the ACC are all loaded. I'd say it's safe to assume Syracuse, Duke, and UVA, they've had the most uh, success overall in terms of the regular season and tournament wins, but Notre Dame and UNC, I mean, if they're even behind, are only just a smidge behind in that respect. The toughest part about this call is the worst team in the ACC is probably still Uh, top 10 team, maybe a top 12 team in the country, as we saw last year with all of the ACC teams just filling it out top to bottom in the top 20. So it's going from, you know, so going from first to worst in the ACC, not really all that bad of a thing overall, because even as the fifth, you know, even if you finish the regular season in the ACC, because there is no ACC tournament, even if you finish the regular season uh, fifth in the ACC, you still have a very good chance of making the tournament. So long as you picked up a, a quality or, you know, I think they're all playing again, six ACC contests once again. Uh, so as long as you pick up a win or two within the ACC and then handle your non-conference schedule, most of the times you're going to make the tournament here, the way it plays out now. So that's, not too bad. Last season, every ACC team got an at-large bid. Any, any any idiot knew that that was going to happen. Beginning of the season, I predicted it. A lot of other people did. That was kind of a no-brainer, as loaded as they were overall, uh, especially without the Ivies being in the mix. There was easily one, or you know, easily one more at-large bid that normally wouldn't have been because the Ivies weren't playing, and I think that's really what what put them over the edge last year. Uh, so it, you know, I think this year, probably four teams make it out of the ACC. It could be another season where all five make it, but because the Ivies are back and we, you know, Yale and company Cornell, they're all going to be pretty good still. I think that at least four ACC teams make it with the potential for all five. So without further ado, let's get into this. And right off the bat, I know boo birds and I'm going to get chirped terribly. Uh, but number five, and I'm picking number five here is this, this is the team that I think will end up finishing last in the ACC, and some will call me crazy, North Carolina. You know, I'm dropping them down from, you know, whatever they finished last year, first, second with Duke. You know, it was kind of at the top Duke, Virginia, and UNC at, uh, last season. Um, and at, so after all of that success, how do I dump them down to fifth in the ACC? And it's because when you look at the rest of the conference, what they lost versus what they bring back, I think UNC lost the most, especially in offense. They had a very high high octane offense in 2021 the number one team in the country in terms of scoring you know goals per game 16.31 goals per game unc put up 
number two team in the country in terms of points per game, as in, uh, you know, in our box score, here's how many points our, our offensive players uh, accumulated or contributed to that total. That was 24 by 9-4. Um, so they were loaded offensively in 2021. But offensively, they lose Perry's 48 points. They lose Cook's 33 points. They lose Anderson's 31 points. They lose Trippy's 25 points. That's the most points lost. And, it, and I think Duke, between losing uh, uh, Sowers and Robertson, may have ended up losing more points in total. Uh, I don't think so. I think North Carolina lost the most points offensively than anybody else. But even even if they, even if North Carolina didn't lose as many as Duke because Duke lost two of their you know top scorers, they end up losing just contrib. That's four solid contributors all putting up twenty plus points on the offensive end. And, and granted, they've got guys that can step in and fill that void. But that was a lot of senior leadership. A lot and and a couple of them were super seniors. So it's like it's one of those deals where that is really tough to place offensively. So they're almost certainly, even with Gray coming back in company, they're certainly, and Solomon's back, they're going to they're gonna drop a little bit in terms of their offensive prowess overall. Still going to be a ridiculously talented offensive team. They're just not going to be the number one scoring team in the country, I don't believe. And then worse, potentially worse here, is their already mediocre defense, 25th out of however many teams there are. So they're better than average, but really mediocre. Um they lost their best player to Georgetown. And honestly, I'll take that back. I think North Carolina defensively last year was a lot better than you'd assume. If they were ranked 25th in the country last year, they had to play all ACC teams, and all of these ACC teams were some of the, the highest-scoring teams in the country. So they had to play six games against some of the highest-scoring teams in the country. So 25th isn't really that bad. But they're going to lose their best defensive player to Georgetown. Will Bowen graduated. He'll be a graduate student at G-Town in 2022. So with an offense like they had last year, being twenty the twenty fifth ranked defense, solid. That's really solid. But uh, it, and it was almost good enough to get them a title. Uh, but I don't think it's going to be close to good enough this year because I think they're going to lose enough offensively in terms of overall firepower, in terms of scoring output. That I think that that defense is going to hurt them this year as opposed to help them. And Bowen losing Bowen's huge. Overall, though, UNC they got talent up and down this roster, top to bottom on offense, and uh, they're gonna their offense is still gonna probably finish in the top ten. I think between Gray and all of the guys that are gonna step up, and uh, could even finish top five. But I think that because they're gonna have to play a, a heavy ACC schedule again. And these ACC teams did not lose as much offensively as they did. And most of them didn't lose a Bowen defensively. Duke did. But Duke, you know, North Carolina loses their best cover guy. Duke loses their best overall defender, but brings back their best cover guy. You know, like, I, th I think that what they lost in Bowen is huge. And then, you know, who knows? So I think that's going to hurt them. That's why I put them at fifth here. Uh, number four. And it pains me to put my favorite team in the world this low on any list. Uh, so to be clear, I'm an idiot, and I hope I'm wrong, and I am hope that Cuse finishes number one in the ACC, wins a natty in Gary Gates' first season as the kingpin. However, just like North Carolina, Cuse had some key losses. Offensively, they had some losses. Defensively, big losses that we'll talk about here. One big loss anyway. And uh, those losses mean that they're going to kind of be forced to show us all what's up. We got to kind of see what happens. We got a new coach, a new a new head coach, new defensive coach. We retain March, our, our offensive coordinator, and everything like that. But, I mean, still, they're learning a new system here. They're getting used to a new coach. And while I think a lot of teams do overachieve in the new coach's first year, we got to see what happens because defensively, you know, we have a lot to prove. Now, 
defensively one of the worst defenses in the country overall. And I, I don't really believe that in terms of numbers. They were they were ranked pretty poorly. Um, but here here's what scared me last year. Open up 18-11 loss to Army. The offense and defense both look terrible. Then we lose 15-14 to Duke. That had me believing that Army loss was probably a fluke. And I think at that point, Cuse was 5-2 and uh, two after they lost that game to Duke. But then they go on... 18-11 loss to Notre Dame, 21-9 loss to North Carolina, 22-8 to Notre Dame that second meeting, and then 18-8 to Georgetown. Really, the, the only bright spot of the season here was beating up on Virginia that first time and then beating Virginia that second time. There was was not a whole ton of, of like, hey, that's really positive stuff because the quality teams that we played beat our asses. The 18-8 to Georgetown, that was where they could have turned it around, played at least a good game, kind of redeemed some of those bad losses early earlier in the year, and they didn't. Uh, losing Drake Porter is terrible. Porter was one of the few bright spots on a defense that finished 54th in the nation last year. That hurts them. Granted, they bring back almost all of their defensive players. Uh, they lose Dirth and Porter. Those are the two biggest losses. They lose the, the pole there uh, from Gettysburg. But then they bring everybody else back. Kennedy and company are all back. Uh, but as with UNC, despite the fact they bring all these guys back, they've got a lot to prove. Now, I was kind of down on this defense a little bit just because not only were you already not a great defensive team despite having one of the better goalies in the country, but you also lost that that you lost that goalie, you know, that 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 really, you know, was the only reason that they weren't ranked like dead last in the country just about. Porter had a Porter didn't have his best season, but Porter had another really good season and he kind of anchored that defense. So losing him scared me because how is that going to go? How is that going to play? But now we get Bobby Gavin into the mix, uh transfer from Virginia, one of the top-ranked goalies coming into college lacrosse. I believe it was last year. Had a couple of starts for Virginia was a ACC defensive player of the week one of the weeks before losing the the spot to Alex Road. I forget what happened. I forget if there was covid involved or if it was just he wasn't playing well, but either way, or maybe he was only starting because Road was hurt or something like that. I can't remember, but Road ends up winning his second national title in cage for Virginia. I actually thought Gavin would end up being the goalie this year, and he's out. He's now at Syracuse. So I don't know who's going to start. I know Gavin was a pretty highly touted prospect coming in. So does he end up being our guy? I'm not sure yet. I haven't heard one way or another, but that at least adds some depth. And I mean, if he could step into cage and play tough, play tough, put up 55% save percentage with this defense in front of him, then, hey, you know, Cuse might not finish fourth. That might put them in the third uh, spot. And then I'll talk about what could drop some of the other teams and bring some of the other teams up as well as we go on and talk about them all. But to be certain, adding Gavin this late as a transfer is pretty huge for Gate and company. Offensively, Dordic, uh, Dordic, Dordovic, Curry, Hiltz, they should be able to keep the offenses, you know, the, the pace of that offense up. I think you're going to see them, you know, they were 12th in the country scoring last year. I think Gate is probably going to have them playing a little bit more of an upbeat style of play. I think that's going to help them offensively in terms of output. I think that that could potentially hurt them defensively. When you, when you tend to run and gun a little bit more, you tend to give up a few more goals, and this isn't necessarily the type of defense that could withstand that unless maybe whoever hops in cage ends up stepping up big. So I think offensively they're going to be fine. Uh, so even though I risk pissing off the team I love as well as the Orange Faithful, I think that you know if I want to retain what little shred of credibility I have, I have to go with Cuse finishing fourth. I think that's a that's fair. I think a lot of people would say, hey, Cuse, Cuse is last in the ACC after what they did. 
But like I said, they're not going to be facing that same UNC team that they played last year. And even though Cuse's defense was not very good last year, they do bring all of those guys back. I think they were the weakest at defensive midfield. I don't put a lot of it on the polls besides dearth. Cuse's defensive midfielders were terrible last year, and they got beat at the midfield a lot, which opened up things. They're already not great off ball, and when you get beat at the defensive midfield as badly as they did, that's going to just make your off-ball problems even worse. So that's something I hope that Petromala can clean up. Just clean up their off-ball play. Maybe you know send a little bit more help in an organized manner to the defensive midfielders, and maybe we can maybe that defense could go from forty to much better than that, or fifty-four or whatever they were to much better than that. But it wasn't good enough last year. I'm hoping they clean that up. My number three team, and this is where, like I said, all five of these teams are going to be great. All five of these teams have a chance at making the tournament no matter where they finish within the ACC standings. But my number three team, Duke. And yes, I'm going with Duke at number three. And I think the the reasons are obvious. Once again, on paper, they can't quite replace what was lost as it lines up with what the other teams have done, I think, especially in terms of offense. But out at Duke, Sowers, 81 points. Robertson's 54 points. Sean Lowry, 13 points. He was a lot more important than just those 13 points um, running mid. Um, JT Giles-Harris, one assist, 19 cost turnovers, 34 ground balls. Those, All those guys gone. Those are all big cats. But despite those hefty losses, there's still plenty of reason for the Duke faithful Um or let's say not even say the Duke faithful, be optimistic, but there's plenty of uh, reasons that Duke could just prove me wrong and make me look like a dum-dum. And uh, that is Brennan O'Neill. I mean, come on, 45 goals, 10 assists as a freshman. I expect 80-plus from him in 2022. Nakai Montgomery, we saw Montgomery 2.0 in 2021. Uh, number 15 continued his incredible development overall. I mean, he came out as a freshman and tore it up. A little bit of a down year, the, the COVID-shortened season. I think he had a strong, you know, his sophomore season was okay. His shortened junior season was where that second, that first midline with Montgomery all kind of struggled. So I wasn't sure what we were going to get out of Montgomery and company in 2021. Dude tears it up, man. As a rookie, though, he goes 14-2 and two, uh, over his second and third with that shortened season being the, fir- the first third season. He greatly improved as a passer, but last year, 15 goals and 22 assists, which hands down solidifies him as one of the best complete overall midfielders in the country, uh, hands down. Owen Caputa, Dyson Williams, to name a couple more that are coming back. So from an offensive perspective, Duke is going to be very good. And yes, they lost JT Giles-Harris on defense, but Adler's back in cage, and he looked solid last year. Uh, Brower and Carpenter are also both back. I think Brower was probably their best uh, cover guy overall last year. Jake Naso, freshman faceoff guy, had a great season. He's back, so that should help them win a bunch of draws. So overall, I think Duke is going to be really good again. And then they've got some freshmen. Um, uh, Mac- Mac- what is his name? Macadori uh, at midfield. Like, There's a lot of guys that are going to fill in the blanks here for Duke. And So I think overall, Duke is a solid team top to bottom. And they could go either way. Depending on how the season plays out, Duke could drop to four. I don't see Duke dropping to last, but Duke could drop to four, or Duke could move up to to number two. I don't see Duke winning the ACC outright, but you know, I'm I'm once again I'm not the brightest of of bulbs here. Number two, Notre Dame, and I think this one this is one I think a lot of people are going to be surprised that I picked it this way. But I mean, I'm high on Notre Dame. I've been smoking what Notre Dame has been handing me. They're always one of the top defensive teams in the country, but I think they're going to be one of the best offensive teams in the country in 2022. Pat Kavanaugh, he Kavanaugh, like I'm from Boston. Pat Kavanaugh, he burst onto the scene, and while he's not going to surprise anyone in 2022, I think he's going to be one of the Twarton finalists here at the end. 
It's going to be hard to keep the kid under 70 points. He put up 64 points last year off 26 goals and 30, uh, 38 helpers. So I expect 70-plus from him. I think he'll improve that output by 10, 12 points or so. I don't see him going. I think the ceiling for him is probably going to be in the you know uh, approaching 80 because I just don't see a guy from Notre Dame putting up that many more than that with the style of play. And then he's got help. Wheaton Jack, uh, Wheaton Jack Boyce is back. I always forget, and I know he told me, directly in Instagram how to pronounce it. I always say Jack of Boyce, but I wasn't sure if maybe it was Jacoby. I'm pretty sure it's Jack of Boyce. Anyway, he's back, super senior year. He had 21 goals and 10 assists last year, a true OG in terms of just being a veteran for Notre Dame at this point, so him coming back is huge. Griffin Westland had a really nice season last year, 15 and 16 for 31 points. So overall, I like Notre Dame's mix of midfielders. I like their defense more than anything. They they bring back Liam Entman on defense. That's going to be huge. He ended up having a killer season last year. Posted a 58.5 save percentage in 12 games, 8-4 and four record, and he, and he did that playing in the toughest conference in the country in terms of just being a goalie, having to eat shit all the time. Arden Cohen back on defense. I, I I didn't go too much deeper on here because I do want to preview preview Notre Dame in a little bit more deeply later on as we as we approach the season. But uh, overall, they they've just done a really good job of bringing in transfers uh, in this you know due to COVID. You know Notre Dame's capitalized better than everyone I think last year in terms of strengthening strengthening their defense. And I forget who they picked up, but I think they picked up a defender from Richmond also here for this season. We'll see. But they're going to be as complete of a team as you're going to see overall. Something that could tip the scales here, I think, overall in, in, the, in these bottom four teams are, are going to be face-offs, especially for Notre Dame. Everybody in the ACC brings back their primary face-off guy. Cuse brings back FOP. UNC, who's UNC got? I forget the, the dude UNC has, but I'm pretty sure he's back. What is it, Tucci? Is it Tucci that's back? I can't remember his name now. Um so they uh, Cuse brings back FOP, UNC brings back their guy, Duke brings back Naso, Virginia brings back PD Lasala. So everybody brings back a pretty formidable faceoff guy. And uh, Notre Dame, that was their big strength last year. So this may be where I eat shit on this prediction because I think one of the bigger strengths for Notre Dame was the fact that between Gallagher and Leonard, they won 62% of their draws last year. And they could easily, now they have none of those guys back. They have none experienced faceoff guys, as my daughter would say. And that that could drop him down below 50%. And if that happens, that greatly changes the offensive dynamic a little bit. And easily Notre Dame could drop from second to fourth. I'm assuming, though, Entman could make up for a little bit of that. I'm assuming some of their offensive firepower, uh, they could put up some points. And then defensively, they're just a well-anchored defense. So I, I'm not sure losing Leonard... Uh, and uh, what's-his-nuts, um, Gallagher, is going to hurt them that bad. But it could make the difference between them finishing second and fourth uh, for sure. You could see Duke and and you could see all of the – every team frog jump them in the end. I could be wrong. But I think that the face-offs could hurt Notre Dame badly. But until we see that that is, in fact, how it, how it plays out, I'm, I'm still going to give them the nod for number two overall. Virginia, number one. It's getting boring now that Virginia is just so loaded. Now – and – I wouldn't have them here if it wasn't probably for the for uh, learning that Matt Moore is coming back. The fact that Matt Moore is coming back is is ridiculous. So as we look at the production they're bringing back offensively, and and Virginia defensively they're going to be solid. They did lose a little bit of talent defensively, but they play a very good and aggressive team defense, and that can uh, that can make up for some of the losses a little bit because they're flying all over the place and it's high risk, high reward. 
a style of play that, that they've started slow but have finished decent by the end of the year. So anyway, just listen to what Virginia's bringing back here because it's nuts. Connor Schellenberger, 37 and 42 for 79 points. Matt Moore is back for his like 10th season. It seems like he's been playing at, at Virginia for t- a decade now. 33 goals, 34 helpers for 67 points. Cormier, 45 and 8. Pete Garno, 22 and 3. Jeff Connor, 14 and 8. And those guys are going to be hugely important because they're the guys that have to step up for guys like Doc Saitkin. Uh, and then don't forget Xander Dixon, 10 and 10. He looked really good in the fall. So offensively, Virginia is going to be the best team in the ACC, I would have to imagine. I think they'll probably be the best offensive team in the country overall with, with just that the amount of guys they bring back compared to who they lost, which was virtually no one at that stage. But the biggest one, the biggest guy they're returning, and I feel this with all my heart, is Petey fucking LaSala, man. He's a face-off guy, but my man had 10 goals and 7 assists. That's 17 points as a face-off man. While winning 62.4% of his draws, I mean, dude had like 130 ground balls or some crap crap like that, forced a turnover or two. One of the most important players on any roster right now is Petey LaSala because who else is putting up numbers like that? There are There are guys that are probably better at, at winning draws than him, but just in terms of winning that draw and then rolling down the field and and scoring goals and putting up points, he's one of the best. And then and a little bit of flash too. You'll see him throw some weird passes, get some weird shots off, backhand crap like that. So watch out for him. Now on defense, they lose their keeper, Alex Road. It happens. Two two national titles as a starter, good for him. But they do bring back uh, K, uh, Cade Sostad to anchor a very athletic group of defenders overall. They have solid defensive midfielders as well. But team defense, like I said, is what is the name of the game in UVA. They're aggressive. They're going to fly around the field. That will both open up some holes for the offenses they play against, but it will also force some turnovers, especially as they start to figure out that scheme. Um, and then depending on who, who ends up in cage for Virginia, once again, another big question mark. It's like, hey – New goalie, uh, who who is it going to be and how are they going to play? So just like I say with Notre Dame, losing two faceoff guys that combined for 62%, losing Alex Rode and his leadership in cage, that could also hurt you. And I and, and also here, I'm not even 100% sure all the time who they've lost and who they haven't with the COVID season. So if I butchered it and let's just say there's some freaky thing going on and Alex Rode is back and I'm wrong, well, you know, fuck me. But either way, I still think, though, that A – that 40th ranking on defense will probably hold up. I think they can they can replicate that maybe, maybe not. Maybe they drop a little bit, but, but the kicker being they're going to be so good offensively and at the faceoff dot that that, I think, will make up for any shortcomings on defense due to, due to losses. So I don't believe for a second that UVA played defense last year like the 40th-ranked defensive team in the country. I think that that was an ACC brought all of the ACC team ACC team's defensive numbers down quite a bit but I you know that that's going to that is going to play for sure so that's kind of how I rank them here now there's no ACC tournament again so it's just a, another matter of they just have to get as many at large bids as they can I feel firmly even with the Ivy League uh, being added back in that the ACC is probably going to get four teams in and then depending on how things go and depending on how they handle their their non-conference schedules like last year Cuse might not have gotten in 
if the Ivy League teams were playing because they got smoked by everybody in the ACC other than Duke and Virginia. They beat Virginia twice. They lost a close one to Duke, but they just got roached by everybody else in the ACC. So they didn't end, then they lose to Army non-conference. So it's like, man, that 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 can't happen to any of these ACC teams if they want all five of them to get in. And uh, it'll, it'll be a definite – it's definitely going to be a different dynamic. I don't think the ACC teams are going to dominate this year like they did last year. Uh, in terms of what Duke did, UNC, and what Virginia did in their non-conference schedule. So that is it for this episode. We're going to do the next episode. We're going to rip through and do the preseason for the Big Ten. I want to do the Big East. We're going to do the SoCon. And then we'll probably have a, a fifth episode that'll just rip through all of them. But we've got lacrosse, I think, a month from today, a month from yesterday. We have lacrosse. I think it's Bellerman and uh, Mercer play that first game, if I'm correct. So lacrosse is not far away. I took a little bit of a break. I am now back. Uh, to getting you guys content every week, every weekend for a little while. And then once the season starts, we'll start dropping uh, content during the week. We'll, we're going to change up formats a little bit as well. So we'll have uh, do a little bit more interviewing and crap like that as well here this this season. Whereas I just suck at interviews, so I always hate doing them. But I guess I'll have to get with the times here and we'll do some interviews. So all good things. Episode 181 is a wrap. We will be back on Sunday to do the Big Ten preview overall, and I'll do a way-too-early prediction and ranking for them that everyone can chirp me about. So that is all. As always, go to laxfactor.com, support us that way, buy some swag, and that helps everybody out. But really all I ask, like, subscribe, share if you're listening, and uh, that is it. Hoost is out. Hoost is out.